0: James said we will be in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 11 through 16 will be our text. We've been going through Hebrews for a while now as a church body. We've come to Hebrews 11. I'll go ahead and say it up front. You may hear the children at times. You'll hear the nursery, a little action going on in there. That's perfectly fine. Everyone hears them, so you don't need to, like, feel nervous or tense for anybody. They're a blessing, and sometimes they're a noisy blessing, and that's fine. So uh, we'll roll with it, whatever happens. For months now, as we've been looking at Hebrews, we've been looking at the idea of the Christian life and the call for enduring faith, faith that endures to the end, faith that makes it all the way to the end. Hebrews is really a sermon that is for us, and weaved in and out of this sermon is warning and promise delivered to the people of God, and the warning and the promise weaves in and out and in and out together, and so we've kind of built all the way through with the warning promise, warning promise, calling us to enduring faith calling us endurance, that we would make it to the end. Then we came to chapter 10, and there was a little bit of a turn where we looked at Christ, and we've seen that Jesus Christ is superior to all things. And so the main call for this enduring faith, which has been the theme of our whole series, is to consider Jesus, to once again turn and behold our God, to consider Jesus Christ and his work on our behalf. And as we've considered everything else, we've been turned back to Jesus saying, Jesus is greater, Jesus is superior to everything else. There's nowhere else to turn. And your enduring faith rests on you considering Jesus and realizing his superiority to all things. And so we come to Hebrews chapter 10 and we're told then, based on what Jesus Christ has done as we consider him, let us draw near to God. Let us hold fast to what we have learned. And then let us consider one another. And so now we're continuing. and We kind of hit Hebrews chapter 11. Some people know it as the, the hall of faith passage, and Adam, Pastor Adam has laid out for us how Hebrews 11 is functioning for us as a body of Christ. It's more than just a list of really people with great faith, like here's our all-stars from the Bible. It, it, there's something different happening, something more is going on here. If you would look back in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 through 39, the end of chapter 10 sets up for us how Hebrews 11 is to function in our life. Again, a a warning and a promise laid upon you. It says, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Uh, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So in verse 35 and 36, you have need of endurance. Your faith needs to rest till the end. Flip back to Hebrews chapter 3, and then we'll land back in Hebrews 11 and look at the text. But Hebrews chapter 3 then, so what sort of endurance are we talking about? What, what do we mean exactly by perseverance? And Hebrews chapter 3 kind of lays out for us and summarizes what we mean when we talk about enduring, persevering faith, and why it is it's so important that you need to endure in that beautiful way that chapter 10 ends. And we know better things of you. You will. Genuine faith will endure. And there's this necessity of enduring faith faith and this consequence of enduring faith. It's necessary that your faith will endure, and yet the promise is genuine faith, by consequence, will endure. The two work together. So look at Hebrews chapter 3, just real quickly, verses 5 and 6. It says, Now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. We see the superiority of Jesus. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and in our hope. See how that reads? We are his house right now, present tense. We belong to the house of God if indeed at the end our faith is enduring. It's not saying you're not a believer until the end. It's saying right now you belong to the house of God and you will know that because your faith is going to endure to the end. That's the promise, and the warning is, work out your salvation. Take heed, be careful lest you fall away, so that you will endure a consequence and the necessity of saving faith. One more time in chapter 3, in verse 12. It says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ right now, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm until the end. And call after call to take heed, to watch yourself, to draw near, to hold firm, to consider one another, to stir one another up. And how do we do that by continually being thrown back and drawn back to Jesus Christ that we consider Him, He's superior to everything. So now these two kind of meet for us in Hebrews chapter 11. In verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 11, right in the middle of our text this morning, this comment is made really of of all of these Men and women who are listed in Hebrews chapter 11, specifically in our context, Abraham and Sarah. But verse 13 starts this way These all died in faith. That's the goal. That we die in faith. They endured to the end, they held their original confidence firm until the end. At the end of their life, they died in faith. So that's the call. We have need to endure. Chapter 11 is going to then encourage us in our endurance. Chapter 12 will tell us, Now, considering them, let us likewise lay aside every weight that will easily beset us. Look to Jesus Christ. So chapter 11 is functioning to help us in our endurance. That we, like them, would endure to the end and die in faith. So one more introductory comment before we jump into it. How so how then do Abraham and Sarah and Noah and Moses all of these people you're going to look at, is it like a list of heroes for us? Who's the hero of Hebrews chapter 11? Jesus, yes. That's always the right answer, right? From Sunday school on, just say Jesus if you don't know, and that's the right answer. Or some Sunday school class. I'm going to mess up the story now, but they were describing a squirrel, the the teacher was, and like, this little animal, I guess it's not, and who knows what this animal is? And the kid's like, Jesus! That was the answer. It's always the right answer. Jesus is the hero. He is the one who is faithful. Sometimes we can disconnect ourselves from these Bible characters, like Abraham and Sarah, and okay, they're Bible people, they lived like this life that was different than ours. And yet we see they're very much like us. They had need of enduring faith. They were way up, they were way down, a lot like we are. They had need of endurance, and they endured. This hall of faith isn't a bunch of heroes. What it is is a picture and portrait of how God worked his promises through specific people accomplishing his purpose all the way along. So Abraham and Sarah, look at verses, chapter 11, verses 9 through, or verses 11 through 12, I guess. Actually, let's start at verse 8, verse 8 through 12. This is Abraham and Sarah. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out. Not knowing where he was going, by faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Now we look at Sarah, by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past age, and she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, him as good as dead, were, bo- were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as, un- many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So you look back in Genesis, and you see the promise. God, in Genesis chapter 12, comes and he visits Abraham, and he calls him from his homeland and tells him to go. Abraham, not really knowing where he is going, and you see this incredible step of faith. He goes, not knowing where he is going. You think, wow, that guy's not like us. I mean, that was like different. But later in chapter 12, he's already, like, faltering in his faith, afraid that someone might, you know, kill him for his wife. He pretends that Sarah, his wife, is his sister and says, here, you can have her. <laughs> Let me go, basically. that's paraphrase. It happens again, twice. Are we like, okay, how did this guy sneak into the hall of faith, right? And then it continues, you know, then they move forward, you're in... 13, 14, you have now this conflict growing between Lot and Abraham. Now his family is starting to have these disagreements, and Lot takes his family, and they end up, in Sodom and Gomorrah, and they're committed to this evil, and God is gracious to Lot and his wife and his children are perish with the city. You're like, okay, I mean, how, how is this by faith, Abraham? And now the covenant is made and in chapter 15. God tells Abraham, I'm, I'm going to give you a son. And he's already pretty old. And after several years of waiting, Abraham's lacking faith. So instead of going in Sarah, he goes into a servant of Sarah's. And he has a son. Now, that wasn't the promise. And now we come to chapter 17. And God visits him again. And Abraham's an old man at this point. Sarah is an older lady. I'll be careful. I say it, right, um, and Sarah has been barren; she's infertile. She hasn't; she's not able to have children. God tells Abraham, "It's going to happen. I'm going to give you a son." And Abraham laughs, and it seems more like not laughing in the face of God, but just kind of that you don't really know how to respond. I'm an old man; she's an older lady. She can't have kids, and she's way past the age of having kids. And then. Sarah finds out what was said, and Sarah laughs more in a mockery way, <laughs> like, yeah, right. And God comes to her and says, did you laugh? And she immediately realizes that was the wrong response. And, no, I didn't. Somewhere in there, God worked in her heart, and by faith then, we get to Hebrews 11, and it says, by faith she had the power to conceive. That's a faithful, gracious, forgiving God. Abraham and Sarah, they're like you and me. Moments of really good faith, then a need to watch ourselves, then a need to endure, and a need for others to come around us. And the call is not to be on our own, perform, but resting on the faithfulness of God, considering Jesus Christ, endure, and keep on going. So this is the context then of Abraham and Sarah, and we can relate to it. And at the end of their lives in verse 13, these all died in faith. So we want to live and die in faith. How do we do it like Abraham and Sarah did? There's four things we'll look at. Number one, how do you die in faith? You die unless the Lord comes, still awaiting the promises. Still awaiting the promises. That's what is said of Abraham and Sarah, verse 13. These all died, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. They died not having received the promises. It's interesting when you think through it because there are senses in which they did receive some immediate promises, that they did get to a land, they did have a son. God's immediate promises were starting to be fulfilled in their lives, but they realized there's something bigger and greater being promised here. There's something spiritual and something different being promised than just a geographical plot of land. And one son, Isaac, a sinner born in the flesh. Something greater is being promised. And it says that they greeted it from afar, and by faith they, they pursued but they died awaiting the promise. So then thinking, okay, how then does this happen? In our context, does it really relate? Because this is Old Testament before Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has come, so do we die awaiting the promises? Yes. When Jesus came, when he's in humility... Taking on flesh, being born of a virgin, obedient, perfect life all the way to the cross, his death, his resurrection, ascension into heaven. That isn't the consummation of all of the promises of God. Right? We know that. There's still sin and death, there's still cancer. There's still gossip, there's still bitterness, there's still divorce, there's still relationships that, that fall apart, there's still churches that split. The end isn't upon us. We haven't finally arrived. There's still envy and strife and go on and on. So what was it that changed when Jesus came the completion and fulfillment of the purchase of those promises. That is, when he came and it says in Second Corinthians that he is the yes to all God's promises, or is he hung on the cross and he says, it is finished. He's not saying, this is it, you're now in paradise. He's saying the final decisive victory over sin and death has been had but there's still a time of waiting until the consummation of all things. I heard one preacher describe it this way. It's if I don't really play chess, but if you do and you kind of get into a position where, okay, I'm going to win this game. I've got it locked down. And then your opponent can, you know, he's got a few futile moves he's still making, but it's just a matter of time until checkmate. And it's that kind of sense where Jesus has won the decisive victory. Satan and whoever can throw their last futile blows and attempts and their moves, but it's just a matter of time. Amen. Checkmate. So yes, we die in faith if we die awaiting the promises. Romans 8.23 tells us that we groan inwardly with that kind of longing for the awaiting. This should be an encouragement for us. I think sometimes we, we come to Christ, we believe we have like this great momentous moment, and life continues to happen. And it's like, I thought things were going to be like real different for me now. Like I, the, all the promises were made I, I received them. I accepted the promises. I, like, isn't everything going to change? And we can look around and think, you know, they seem to be joyful and happy and things working out. My life is, like, still really difficult and really ugly at times. And it's just hard. Like, I, I considered Christ. I put my trust in him. Why is it still why is everything so difficult for me still? And there can be this overwhelming discouragement that somehow you're not doing something right because, you know, they seem to be getting along fine. It worked for them, but it's not working for you. And The promise isn't everything's going to be hunky-dory and smooth sailing with Jesus Christ. It's the consummation the, the we still await for, but that final victory, it's had by Christ. Now you live and you fight and you battle knowing that victory is His and so in Him it is ours. We will overcome. The one who gives up doesn't die awaiting the promises. One who abandons it, it's just not worth it. I thought it was going to be better for me. It's better for me if I just make a lot of money and I just do this and I just do that and You know, forget all of this spirituality Christ stuff. You're no longer awaiting the promises. It said that they greeted them from afar. I went to a seminary in Virginia Beach, and we're near a a naval base, big naval air station. So there's always aircraft carriers going in and out. One of the cool things was when these would return to the bay, they come into the bay, and the news would show it. All of these families with these little kids and their dads or their moms have been out on the ship for you know six months a year however long they 've been gone a long time and it kind of shows it from afar like the planes would fly off first and they kind of make this you know big production of it and go back and um, you kind of see the ship coming it has the idea of there it is, I, I greet it from afar it 's just into view I see it it 's real they 've gone out they 've accomplished they 've They've Whatever it is that they've done, now they're safely here and they're coming back and I greet them from afar. And it's not, I'm not able to embrace it yet, it's not totally here, but I see it. Not an exact illustration, but kind of help. That greeting it from afar, it's, it's done, it's, I see it and it's real. And that's how they died, awaiting it, greeting it from afar with faith. That idea of longing and desire, greeting it from afar, awaiting the promises of God. Don't abandon the hope just because it's still really difficult. Don't abandon your faith. The call is for endurance. Secondly, to die in faith means that you are a sojourner on earth. At verse 13, it continues on. Started beginning, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear they are seeking a homeland. Sojourners on earth, a life of faith is a life of the sojourner in the exile. It's a life not feeling totally at home here, that you serve a king who is so different from a, so different than what happens here that it has shaped your values and your allegiance differently than everything that's around you in the age that is passing away. You never feel totally at home here as a sojourner. The Bible speaks often of the Christian living kind of in this dual age. Christ has come and there's, the age to come has been set up on us. We are kingdom people yet we're living in the age that is passing away. And living in that, as Philippians lays out, our citizenship is in heaven, yet we're living in this earth that is passing away. And there is a definite rub there, living as a sojourner. It's the Old Testament that describes the patriarchs that way. In Psalm 39, it describes David as talking. You think, okay, anyone who, like, it's totally at home here on the earth. He's a king. He's got all this wealth, wealth and riches. He's this awesome warrior. Psalm thirty-nine, twelve. He says, "Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest, like all of my fathers." Language continues in the New Testament. Philippians 3.20, we just mentioned it, our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Look at verse 9 in Hebrews chapter 11, and you'll see what what is being said here. So Abraham was promised his land and told to go. In verse 9, it says, by faith he went and he lived in the land of promise. But he still did it as a foreigner, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs of the same promise. I encourage you, if you always, encourage you or challenge you, I guess here, If you always feel kind of like things aren't quite right and it just isn't there's just always a rub about culture around you, and you seem to be going just differently. the values, the passions, what is, what is taught, and you there's always just this rub and you don't really fit in. That's normal. That's right. You might not be normal, but it's still normal. <laughs> Live. As a sojourner, your identity is not wrapped up on who you are and what you are here on earth. Sometimes we think too closely that this is our home and this is where it is for us and this is where it ends. And so my identity becomes so bound up and did I did I create the life I needed and the life I wanted while I was here? And you put all your energy and all your efforts into it. And then you begin to see, okay, you know, I'm single and I'd, I'd love to be married. I'm just not. My identity becomes, I'm not going to find a husband. I'm not going to find a wife. I'm, I'm not going to have the life I should. I'm not going to, and you, can, you drown in that. This is where it ends for me, and I'm not going to have the life I want. whatever it might be for you, life didn't happen like you thought it should. It didn't happen like you planned it. We begin to feel this real sense of unfulfillment and, you know, it's not what I was hoping it would be right here. And we're told, that is our life. The life of faith is sojourner and exile. Your identity isn't that you're single or you're from a broken home or whatever it is. Your identity is that you're a child of the king and he is going to take you home to be with him. The life of faith doesn't get buried here out of disappointment and discouragement that it just didn't work out like you thought it would. It's a call to endure to where you were meant to be, to what you were made for, to enjoy Jesus Christ. The third point goes along very closely with it. Those who live a life of faith, those who die in faith are those who are seeking another city. So you're a sojourner in exile here, you're seeking another city. It has a little bit more of an active twist on it. It says, for people who speak thus, verse 14 of chapter 11, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. are seeking another country. Verse 15, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. So here isn't so much just realizing you're a sojourner on this earth, but realizing if you want to find that satisfaction and that fulfillment, it's in another country, namely a heavenly one. So many people look at their circumstances and think, how can I change my circumstances? And That's how I'll feel at home. Even here it says, you know, if they had been thinking, wow, okay, he called us out, we obeyed and we followed, it was way better where we were. He said if they had wanted, if that was the land they were looking for, they could have gone back home, but that wasn't the land they were looking for. I think we do this in our own lives so often. Whatever stage of life you're in, you, like, think backwards and, like, if it were just like it was back then, everything seems so much easier. Like, when you're first out of college, you get a job, you're like, man, I wish I was back in college where it's, like, zero responsibility. You're just doing whatever. You don't worry about money. You don't worry about no one's really depending on you. you just try to get up for class, and there you go. Or maybe you're a really good student, but whatever. Um, Laughter you think, oh, if they're just like that, and then, you know, then you're here and you think, oh, just when I get that promotion, then I'll find my fulfillment. Oh, if I were just to meet that right girl, then I'll find my fulfillment. If I get my three kids and the dog and the picket fence, then I'll be happy. And it's your place, your identity, whatever it is, you begin to think, okay, I know I'm not happy right now, but I'm seeking a homeland, I'm seeking fulfillment, I'm seeking satisfaction, but it's not in a heavenly land. It's always tied up if I could just if that relationship was just different, if, if I could just get this person back, if I could just overcome this one thing, if, if I just had a little more you know, financial stability, if my life was easier, that's what I'm seeking, just a less stressful easier life. We begin to seek fulfillment some other place on earth. And he says, if that's what they were looking for, they could have done it. They could have gone back from where they came. But they were seeking, awaiting the promises, seeking a homeland. So you know what? The story could be different. It could be Abraham went back and he died stress-free. He wouldn't have died in faith. It's going to be your goal that you die in financial stability. That you die with that picture of the house that you want. That you die, whatever it is. They died still awaiting the promises. I know there's, there's people, it's, it's touched our family, people who, who struggle with infertility, and that can be a long battle for people. And I think the encouragement is both ways if that's something that never happens for you, that your happiness and your joy and your satisfaction is still bound up in the promise you're awaiting, which is Christ. Does that flatten it out and mean that it's just going to be like, don't even worry about it? No, life is still difficult. Emotions are still heavily invested. I'm not pretending it's not real. But the reality is, Sarah had that child at 100 years old. And you know what? She still died awaiting the promise. She still was seeking satisfaction. Lord may bless you and bring you that child or or bring you that relationship or or give you that job or whatever. You know what? It's still not the best life is going to get for you. You're still awaiting a homeland. And a faith that endures doesn't invest and dig down deep in making life something here besides pursuing God. It's not about your financial stability, it's not about just your family, it's not about whatever. Life is still pursuing God. Another thing with this idea of seeking, that faith is not fundamentally a matter of performance not a a checklist of things to avoid and things to do. It's not a performance-based idea that the bigger your performance, the more faith you had or the more faith you get or whatever it might be. Often the fight for faith is waged at the wrong level and we immediately attack people of, you know, don't do this, don't listen to this, don't drink this, don't say that, don't. And the the battle for faith exists at this level of performance and what you should do and not do. Instead of the battle at the heart of what you seek and what you desire and what you treasure and where your allegiance lies. And here the battle is they were seeking, they were desiring. Their performance wasn't always stellar, we saw that. From time to time it faltered. But they were seeking and they were desiring a better homeland And what that takes is not us standing up here and telling you, do this and don't do this. Now go out and obey the law on your own. Have faith. It's consider Jesus Christ. Look what he has accomplished for you. Draw near. Hold fast. Consider one another how you can stir up one another in that pursuit. Because I can tell you, Jonathan, don't wear that shirt again. And you can just you can perform that, but I can't say, Jonathan, desire Brussels sprouts, not the good kind and bacon all that, just like a raw Brussels sprout. <laughs> and you can't just, maybe you like Brussels sprouts, you're kind of weird, maybe you do, but, um, <laughs> but you can't just all of a sudden be like, okay, I desire them now. You don't shut on and off desire, it's a continual pursuit. Just like relationships, when you grow in your desire for someone, you, the way you treasure them is by spending time and learning about them. Give yourself to the means that God has given us Word. Give yourself to the Word. Consider Christ in the Word. Give yourself to prayer. Pray. To worship together as a body. To the, the sacraments, of the Lord's Supper of seeing and visualizing and remembering and celebrating and rejoicing what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. And encouraging one another, being around other Christians. God has given us means to consider Him and in that considering, dependent upon the grace of God and the Spirit and how He works through those means, the promise is, you will see it Jesus Christ will be beautiful and he will grow and you'll see that country from afar and it will look more and more precious and you will want it more and more and more. And then that level of do this, don't do that, your desires and your values and your passions begin to change and to shift. And that third use of the law comes in, then how do I walk before my God and honor him to live as a kingdom child in this age that is passing away? we attack it sometimes too much. at just this level. What we can see, what you're doing and not doing, instead of the seeking and desiring. That is fundamentally the battle for faith. They died in faith, seeking, desiring, treasuring Jesus Christ more than anything else. And then our last one. This is a Crazy verse. Verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. We'll end here with just a couple thoughts on this. Not ashamed to be called their God. That's kind of a unique wording in Scripture. Don't you want God to be not ashamed? To be called your God. Here are your options. God isn't a God who makes shameful decisions and choices. He doesn't sit up in heaven, you know, feeling sheepish, like, ooh, I'm a little ashamed of that person. <laughs> you know, He doesn't operate that way. He's not a shameful God making shameful decisions and regretting them later. He is either unashamed to be your God or He is not your God. Those are our two options. So we obviously want him to be not ashamed to be called our God. How do we get that? Thankfully, the text gives us two reasons if you look, one before and one after. We'll look at the one after first. It says, as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be God, called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So why is he not ashamed to be called their God? Because he's prepared for them a city. Here's what that's saying. God's not ashamed to be called their God because what He has done for you. It's what God has accomplished for you. It isn't, wow, you put on a great performance. That was a really good message. I'm not ashamed to be called that guy's God. He doesn't operate that way. It's not some performance or some merit that you you do something spectacular, now he's not ashamed to be your God. That's the beauty of it. He's unashamed to be called your God because he has done something awesome for you. He's prepared for you a heavenly city. He's been faithful to his promise. He has sent Jesus Christ to accomplish what you could not accomplish. A passageway to presence to be in the presence of God and not be obliterated for your sin. He's made that possible. He's unashamed to be your God for that reason. Now let's look backwards and we'll see the other one. Verse 16 again, but as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, so what is the outcome? God is not ashamed to be called their God. So it's because God's prepared for them a city, and secondly, because they desire it. So here it is, God's unashamed to be called their God because he has done something awesome for them and They love it, and they want it, and they desire it over everything else. You see what's happening here? There's never, like, a pat on the back for us, like, great performance. It's God has done something great, and you live in such a way that communicates. It is more valuable and more to be pursued and more to be treasured, and I am awaiting it, and I am giving it my allegiance, and my time and my energy isn't to create a better life now, but it is to pursue God. And as you do that, the value and the worth and the glory of God is seen brighter and brighter and shown in your actions and your decisions and the awkward rub you have with this world that is passing away. And these weird decisions that get made, like in our text. Next, Abraham raising a knife over his son Isaac. Who does that? of Noah building an ark out in the wilderness, in the desert, Sarah buying diapers when she's 100 years old because a baby, I guess, is coming. You start living differently because God has accomplished and promised, been faithful to his promise and done something great for us and we look at it, and we want it, and desire it, and seek it, and give our time and allegiance to that over everything else. And then you don't pat yourself on the back for it. It's not like desire is a thing that, you know, it's like hunger. It's not like if you're hungry, it's like, wow, good job, you're hungry, you really accomplished something. You know, like a Chipotle burrito sitting there, like the chicken... Got the sour cream, guacamole, it's eleven thirty, I shouldn't be doing this. But uh, you know, you got that burrito sitting there. And you look at it and get hungry, no one's coming up and saying, good job on getting hungry. It's you know, the praise is going to the burrito. You just want it. <laughs> and that's what's happening here. Not to be trite, but now God has created something beautiful. He's called you to it, made a way for you to get there, and you treasure it and desire it. And no one's like, good job desiring it. It's, no, that only makes sense. And God has given you that faith and the endurance then. And that city is amazing. The city that awaits, there is no cancer, there is no sadness, there is no gossip. And the call is that we would be more satisfied to treasure Jesus Christ and to pursue that than to satisfy ourselves with a drug right now. To pursue that and give ourselves to it than satisfy ourselves with that juicy bit of gossip right now. Letting that really good zinger you got, just let it fly because it's going to gut deep. That's satisfying, right? In your flesh, you know it is. Natalie's smiling. She knows. <laughs> but what's more satisfying? God. What he has offered, What he has called us to do. So ultimately this level of faith isn't do this, don't do that. It's consider Jesus Christ. Give your allegiance to it. Don't put down roots so far that you try to find all your meaning and satisfaction and something right now. Just having a, a better life. Your best life now. No, it's not. It's later. And that's the promise of the text, those who die in faith. Give yourself to the means by which God creates that desire and grows it. The word, prayer, fellowship. All right, let's have a word of prayer. God, we thank you for your word. We pray that we would be those who endure Hold our confidence firm until the end. Lord, that we would, with the saints who have gone before, be strengthened. If we need to be encouraged in our situation right now, that it just seems really terrible, and this is not what we were wanting for our life. Lord, something so beautiful awaits us. Whether we get what it is we desire right now or not, we will get a taste of the heavenly land. Lord, And we might not die financially stable. And we might not die stress-free. And we might not die with all of the relationships we want in the exact order we want them. Lord, but for those who treasure Christ above all, we can die in faith, enduring to the end. Lord, we're dependent upon your spirit. We're dependent upon your grace. We can't create this desire and faith. But you've given us means for that to be accomplished. Might we give ourselves to those means? Might Jesus Christ be praised. It's his name we pray. Amen.